Welcome back to another episode of Ends With Z. I'm Juan Fernandez, along with Cecile Munoz, and today we have a special guest with us. We'll get to him in just a minute. But, you know, in the last podcast, Cecile, uh, we talked about the uh, coming back to Mm -hmm. reality, the reopening, and the challenges that come with it, and the fact that we're all going to be adjusting for quite a long time. That's right. And there were so many things that we shared, but there were so many questions that we had Mm -hmm. about how do we do it? How do we help ourselves and how do we help our listeners and and be good citizens and and have the right tools Mm -hmm. to help people in our community uh, reemerge from being stuck at home to coming back in a way that they feel safe, that they feel understood, they feel supported. And I cannot think about anybody better to help us through that than my favorite (laughs) shaman of calmness, which to do that for me is a Herculean event. She does talk about I do talk about, yeah, I do talk about, hi, John, John Silamparis, psychotherapist here in Los Angeles, who has given us such wonderful nuggets of support and wisdom and guidance throughout the pandemic. So, John, welcome back. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me again. I have to say, John, before we start this last weekend, somebody was talking about comparing themselves Mm -hmm. to somebody, and I pulled his famous quote of when you compare, Compare, you you despair. despair. And I looked like the smart guy in the room. So I was very happy about that. Thank you, John. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, John, what what can you share with us? You are in um, a wonderful position, but also, I would imagine, a very challenging position mm-hmm. this last mm-hmm. year plus of dealing and hearing and trying to help so many people cope through, through life. How has it been for you in, in the work that you do? Well, as a clinician, it's been challenging because we've switched from doing live therapy, mm-hmm. which is much easier to do. Oh. Doing online therapy is actually very tiring um, for the mind, um, especially if you don't have separation from your office and your home. Mm-hmm. So as a clinician, it's been difficult. Um, but of course, we like being in the opportunity, I mean, in the having the opportunity to help people mm-hmm. um, and also to keep busy and to, you know, have make our own living. But... What I've seen with people is, um, first of all, there's a large group of people that are really excited about Mm reentry and coming Mm -hmm. back to normal, Mm -hmm. but there are also a lot of people that have gotten used to their bubble. Mm -hmm. And even though they're vaccinated, um, there's some separation anxiety from their Mm -hmm. children, some separation anxiety from, you know, the cozy confines, the insular confines of their Mm -hmm. home. Um, But I think that what I saw most is people just thrown out of their routines for the last Mm -hmm. year. You know, um, there was a little bit of, um, you know, germophobia and sort of sickness phobia Mm -hmm. from getting the the pandemic, getting Mm COVID-19. But it's mainly been people thrown out of structure, thrown out of routines and having to adjust to that. People confined to their homes. When we're talking about adjustments, John, how long does it take for people to readjust? You're talking about, um, you know, during the pandemic, I was really enjoying the the, the lack of traffic, the, the lack of people out in the street that can move around quickly, and we're already starting mm-hmm. to see uh, traffic pick up again. So can people readjust in, in a healthy way? Um, you know, can you flip-flop flip, flip, back and forth? I mean, yeah, some people can uh, better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that the people that originally had mental health conditions and addictions mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic, mm-hmm. I think had the hardest time making the adjustments. Mm-hmm either getting into the new groove of uh, staying insular and social distancing and also in getting back into you know socializing and being outside and stuff like that. So I think that's what I saw most, but I would say that most people adjusted pretty well from the people that I've talked to, mm-hmm. uh, to both. And getting back into it, um, especially with the vaccines being distributed so much now, 
uh, people are feeling safe. People are ready to come back. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. I think most people, whether you're an introvert and extrovert, I know there's a lot of conversation around that. And I actually just learned a new a new word, an ambivert, that I guess most of us are. Ambivert. A little, yes, mm. most a little bit of both, a little bit of extrovert, a little, a little bit, bit of, of introvert. Um, I, I think there's a lot of discussion of that. And I would imagine that there's pressure. There's pressure for us that our one way or another because i think as a society we reward extroverts we see it certainly in the work that we do no with, with uh, human capital and, and talent we can see that people who have an uh an extrovert personality we reward them more we we see that they're more adaptable they're more gregarious or the, the person you want to have in the room or at the party but uh, as I shared in the last podcast, even I consider myself to be an extrovert, I'm having some challenges mm-hmm. uh, adjusting so quickly, being on somebody else's timeline, whether it's the federal government, that particular state, that particular town, that they say it's okay, go, go forth and be merry and rip off your mask and start hugging the world, which is normally my way of... Uh, of, uh, of greeting people. When you and I greeted each other, I wanted to give you a hug and, and you gave me the elbow and I thought I got to be okay with that. That's right. You do have to be okay with that, right? I was actually just being polite. I, I didn't know where you were at with that. So. See? I didn't want to get rejected at Oh, the well, never. See, we, we talked about that in our earlier podcast is dealing with humor. Yes. to you know, bring down right. the temperature and, of yeah. a hug or a handshake. And how do we yeah. navigate that? I also read, you talked about separation anxiety. I, I read this really interesting article that dogs are having a ha- hard time. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're getting to this granular level. And the article was because so many people adopted pets during the pandemic mm-hmm. as, a, as, a so, as an emotional yes. comfort. And these animals, especially the puppies, have been raised the last year with having their, their human parents, their all the time and now people are going back to work all these animals are having uh, a challenge and I thought well this is really how pervasive this and this is and and what do we do how do we how do we adjust to that because I see both in 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 the world as let's just talk about our country I see people that are elated we saw the pictures in Miami and in Florida mm-hmm. and in the in this um, in, in New Jersey uh, in the Jersey Shore, where Memorial Day, everybody is open, no masks, people are elated. Tampa had a huge concert this yes, past weekend. because mm-hmm. of it. But then I see people that have lost, in my opinion, I, it's probably not right for me to say, but they've lost their mind, the violence, the, the anger, the fighting, the anxiety mm-hmm. at all levels, from children to adults. How do, how do we... How do we bring the compassion itself back? How do we, the compassion we had to, for each other during the pandemic, how do we bring that forth with ourselves and with others? You know, and it was such a, a trying year. I mean, especially mm-hmm. in California with um, fires on top of the social unrest mm-hmm. and the violence after mm-hmm. the George mm-hmm. Floyd news. Um, and then election season came around. Throw, that, throw in the pandemic, throw in a mental health condition that you're already suffering from. Um, I don't know. I think that, I think it softened us a little bit in a good way. I think mm-hmm. um, like 9-11, uh, after catastrophes and things mm-hmm. like that happen, people do come together. The problem with it now is that we're so divided, not only politically, mm-hmm. but also, yes. you know, are you an anti-vaxxer? Are yes. you an anti-lockdown person? So mm-hmm. much division that um, I think it's just going to take time. But you're right. We are in a very sort of anguished time, mm-hmm. and people are still tense, even though we are coming back to work. Um, and, um, you know, again, the freeways are just as packed as they always were. Yes. So it feels like everything's back to normal again. 
Um, I personally feel pretty good about it. I feel safe going to a restaurant. I've, I, I indoors the other day, took my mask off. But every now and then, you know, when someone walks by who's not wearing their mask and they're supposed to when they get up, mm-hmm. I do think about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, imagine somebody that has maybe an anger management problem and they see that and they react differently. So I'm okay with it because I think you're, you're, you're able to do what you want to do and I'll take mm-hmm. care of myself. If I don't want to go to the restaurant, I won't. But I could see how people would still be edgy about that. And what has this done to to us as a society and the the, the burdens on our, I'm going to call it the mental health, whether you had some challenges pre-pandemic that you were dealing with? Mm-hmm. Because I also read that, and I can see it, and I can see it in myself, that there's almost elements of PTSD that we're dealing with. And, yeah. and, and so how we, to make sure we, we have wellness and, and care for ourselves from a mental health perspective, mm. what do we do? How do we, how do we guide ourselves through that? Well, because a lot of experts were saying that what they worry about is what's called this complicated grief, which is sort what of an that? amalgam of all the grief that has been happening in the last year. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, complicated grief, which is also persistent complex bereavement disorder in the DSM. Mm -hmm. It's where some people get so grieved and so sad and so depressed about a situation, maybe loss of loved ones, Mm -hmm. we lost our homes, we lost our businesses, that some people don't come out of that and they stay in this bereavement mode for a long period Mm -hmm. of time and it causes a lot of impairments in their lives. So after Americans assess their losses, you know, after this pandemic really passes, um, you know, will people go into this complex uh, bereavement where there's no coming out of it. So Are there signs, John, of, of 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 finding if somebody is dealing with this symptoms of yeah. that? It's like major depression. It's loss of interest in things that usually give you pleasure, mm-hmm. sense of hopelessness, fatigue, lack of motivation, sometimes suicidal thoughts. Um, <sighs> that's heavy. Loss that's, of appetite, mm. uh, insomnia, and so that's the big worry. Mm. Complex bere- uh, grief. I have never heard of that Me complex either. brief. Uh, uh, it's and it's just a, a very um, a very meaty subject, and I and I see it. I see some of that in myself. I have to some. There are some days where I have to cheer myself on more. Um, and I think could it be that is someone who is dealing with all of that? Could that cause them to almost? to someone on the outside feel like that person has now a personality change, that they're just different? Yeah, it could be. Um, Again, remember the last time you Mm -hmm. were really sad and you were grieving the loss of a loved one or something Mm -hmm. like that? Mm -hmm. Eventually, you evolved through it. Mm -hmm. You passed through it. It changed. Mm -hmm. You had a different perspective of it. Um, And then you started to feel better. You always remember that, that sadness and that sorrow. But imagine not coming out of that and staying in that all the time. It's kind of like having a a, a long panic attack. You can be anxious and panicked about something, but usually it dissipates after a while and it burns off. Mm -hmm. But imagine staying panicked all the time. This would be imagining staying depressed all the time. So what can we do as individuals and as uh, friends or co-workers to to help someone through that I, I think for me the, the natural reaction is to be cognizant of the words that I use uh, well we're getting back that has a aren't you glad we're back to normal we're going back to normal that feels like I'm imposing a, a timeline on someone mm-hmm. that the switch is flipping tomorrow get with the program mm-hmm. uh, and or how are you doing or 
when are you going to go back to X, whatever X was that you did before the pandemic? Mm-hmm. When are you going to get, are you back to the yeah, gym? Isn't right. that great? The gym's open mm-hmm. for People me. People are dancing. asking me if um, I've already planned a big trip. Like, yes. When's your next big trip? I'm like, well, well wait a second. I haven't planned <laughs> because yet. we know you love mm-hmm. to travel. Right. Um, and that's what I mean is in maybe being aware of those things and how we say them, which, you know, I got to tell you also feels like a challenge for me because I, I feel like my brain is exhausted. Mm-hmm. I squeezed out everything that I could to to keep my business propelled and, and, and thank God thriving still. Uh, so now I have to think about these things, but but we must, right? Yeah, I would tell people two things. One is you now that we are allowed to socialize again, mm-hmm. Um, that socialization is really important. You know, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. are all in a bubble of interdependence with each other. We mm-hmm. weren't born in a vacuum. We need each other. We need to communicate with each other, talk to each other, whether it's online, but better physically, uh, in person. So needing to get back to doing that, um, despite your phobias. And then secondly is getting back to your routines mm-hmm. and rituals and structure. If you didn't have routines, rituals, and structure, uh, create some. Because you need to have hobbies, you need to have things other than just taking care of your kids and other than just work. And the pandemic stopped that for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It deprived people of that. And we learned a lot of lessons about that. Take away structure, take away purpose, even just for the day, even just doing laundry um, or doing the dishes. Take that away and um, there's pandemonium. People don't do well with that. People start you know, dwelling on unanswerable questions like, you know, why are we here in life and why do young people children die and why are there diseases and all that stuff ours our structure our routines prevent us from asking those ridiculous questions i mean they're mm-hmm. not ridiculous but you know what i mean they're unanswerable mm-hmm. so we need those things and i think the pandemic deprived people of that and so that's important for them to get back to you said routines rituals yeah. and think, think of the people that lost their jobs yeah you know to be idle for an entire year just hoping for something to change and hoping for a vaccine that's a very desperate place to be, wow. and that could add to the complex mm-hmm. bereavement. So could be anything. Could be exercising. I tell my patients at least exercise, which is just a walk for 15 minutes a day. Walk around the block. Mm-hmm. You know, um, go walk to the store, get coffee. But something has to be done each day to. You know, when when you worry all the time, your brain expends a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And when you are doing a routine, even if it's something as simple as cleaning your house it gives your brain a little bit of a rest. So you need a little bit of daydreaming, you need a little bit of, of you know, um, activity that is not necessarily lofty, but maybe a little mundane. You're talking about making changes, even micro changes, and I think that is the, the, the bigger lesson and, and the lesson that we wanna learn and the, the lessons that are imposed on us is that we have to change and we have to adapt. And, and I know that as a nation, we had some serious mental health issues, both from people experiencing things in silence, not having the resources, the stigma around that, not having the adequate resources and the support from the uh, from your insurance carrier and, and access to it. Has that also affected your profession, John? It has, and uh, the pandemic has drastically changed uh, the face of mental health treatment in so many ways. Um, you know, and again, it hasn't been our choice. Mm-hmm. It's what we have had to adapt to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the traditionalists, you know, Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, 
they're rolling in their graves yes. because <laughs> to them the, the personal experience you know the felt experience the one-on-one mm-hmm. is key the building rapport the building mm-hmm. you know an alliance is so important and to them they would probably say that's not something you can do digitally but, that's right that's but right we are adjusting um, but there's some been, been some interesting uh, results from that um, the the APA the American Psychological Association conducted a survey close to 2,000 practitioners and found that 44 percent reported fewer cancellations and fewer mm. people not showing up to sessions. Wow. People need to talk. Right. Right. People so, needed help. And the reason for this attendance improvement is that if you take away the logistical obstacles mm-hmm. for people, like transportation, bad weather, mm-hmm. um, bad or rigid work schedules, mm-hmm. childcare, illness, disability, if you take that all away, logically, it's easier for people to access mental health treatment because they have it at home. It's right there. And uh, would it be fair to say that to add to that is is perhaps the 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 stigma or the challenge of having to get up, get dressed, and maybe you're afraid to go, maybe it's hard right. for you to have to walk into a building where maybe there's a, a placard that says, I'm going to office 710, which is a psychotherapist, yes, and, and it's what much that more, means. So it's much more anonymous this yes. way. But also, on the other side of that, I'll play devil's advocate on that one too, is it is a little bit enabling. You know, if someone mm. suffers from depression and some social anxiety, let's say, and they have a history of panic and anxiety, it's a little enabling to say, all right, just stay home and we'll talk that I way. See. It's much better to get them to get dressed and take a mm-hmm. shower and get in the car mm-hmm. and come to therapy. It's mm-hmm. healthy to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's enabling. But again, in other ways, and look, even for the psychotherapist, it's kind of like we're doing a house call. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to see them in their environment. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to see them if a cat crosses the screen yeah. or their kids in the background. And maybe we get to see how they react to everyday stimuli that we don't mm-hmm. necessarily get to see them mm-hmm. uh, see them doing uh, in the, the video chat. So there's a lot of advantages for us, too. We get to see them in their habitat. And then also another way it's changed is, you know, uh, therapists are licensed from state to state. Mm-hmm. And usually you can only practice in that state. But because of the, the need during the pandemic and a mm-hmm. lot of relocation, um, governments um, eased on those restrictions. That's and great. you were allowed to cross state lines, which means that we're able to serve a broader community of people because now people don't have to drive long distances mm-hmm. or especially those people that live in you know villages or cities that don't have psychotherapists that specialize in what they need. So mm-hmm. this has really brought people much closer to accessing mental health uh, services and also little by little that'll add to destigmatizing as well this kind of accessibility. That's great. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, as you were saying that I was thinking about People in my hometown, I come from a really small town in Arizona. I am Mm -hmm. from, obviously it's much bigger today than what it was when I was little, but it's still a very small rural town in Arizona out in the middle of the desert. And I know that there are psychotherapists there. uh, And I know still to this day, many of them come from the biggest, the bigger city, which is Phoenix, which is two Mm -hmm. and a half, three hours away. And I have had conversation with conversations with both family members and very good friends who still live there. All my, pretty much my family still lives there, and I've said things like, "You should talk to somebody." And the immediate answer is, "Well, who? You know, we don't really have a lot of therapists here, mm. and we know mm-hmm. all of them because it's such a close knit yeah. community." This could give someone the opportunity to say, "I live in a small town. I went to." 
grammar school with a psychotherapist, I don't want to go tell Bob that's right. all my life worries because I have to see him in a social setting. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think that this allows mm-hmm. this person. And number two, if I if if you were my therapist and I moved, I want to carry that relationship. The thought of starting over is kind of like, for me, thinking about dating again. I don't want to tell somebody my whole life story again. <laughs> I've right. done that. I'm done. So, Next. So now you have the comfort of, mm-hmm. because states And the have, trust. Right. Because every state is very snobby, there's poor reciprocity with your license. Mm-hmm. Like a New York state official is not going to care that I'm licensed in California. It means nothing to them. So this way, right, I can go anonymously to another state and get therapy online. Now, will that stick? Apparently, there's some kind of federal legislation that's going to try to make that stick. Great. Because insurance companies, because of the need, are also easing, or actually, they're letting go of the restrictions against online therapy. To them, it was very traditional and very sort of you know uh, staunch that it's face-to-face therapy or it's no therapy mm-hmm. at all. So now they're going to give reimbursement for online therapy. And if there's that transparency also, my guess is... Um, people are going to be a lot more honest about it because there's no saying that somebody I'm talking to online or through a, a therapy text service that, that they're in my state. Or right? an app. True. True. It, that's right. I think that's great. And, and, and it, I think that, thank you for telling us that there's mm-hmm. a, a federal uh, law or, or a, there's some legislation. Or legislation, yeah. excuse me. That might me. make that stick. I, because we, 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 should be involved in that if we believe if we gain the value of having uh, teletherapy I think is what you called mm-hmm. it or access to a therapist of your choice or to keep your therapist because so even in California so many people yes. have moved out of California look at how many people are moving to Texas I think it is my right to be able to continue to choose who provides mental health services to me and that's why we should um, look up in our state legislature and the federal legislature and figure out who we need to call, what we need to do, how we need to exercise our voice and our vote that we're so mm-hmm. uh, so critical of making sure that every mm-hmm. vote is counted. Yeah. That, that we say, why isn't this? Why shouldn't this be the mandate? Why can't you carry it? Why? Because... Uh, in New York, they have a special kind of mental health problems that we don't have in California. What are the schools, you know, teaching mm-hmm. you something different that yeah. they're not in L.A.? I think yeah. that that's, that's relo- an antiquated re- re- regulation in face-to-face that no longer serves modern society because we have catapulted right. years. And again, we knew this was going to happen eventually. But as Juan mentioned before, um, it, it, the future is now. Like mm-hmm. It's happened now, and mm-hmm. it, we have fast-forwarded a couple of decades, um, basically out of need. So again, one of the few good things, well, maybe not the few, but one of the things, good things that comes out of the pandemic is you know, we are really opening up and broadening the service of mental health um, treatment. And again, to your point, again, so much relocation, so much migration, mm-hmm. people moving all over the place, that why shouldn't you keep your you know, psychotherapeutic, your support community in another state via online. What's wrong with that? It's like talking to your family in another state. So really important for them to try to keep that permanent um, across the board, across the country. You know? And bring it down to the insurance carriers. That's huge too. They, yeah. they should. Why not? Because we know that the economic restrictions are always a barrier mm-hmm. to people, especially those in a so- socioeconomic strata that uh, depend on the reimbursement from your insurance company to be able to do that. I know. It should be 
a right, not a privilege, as we always say. It should be a right, and there shouldn't be barriers to getting mental health. We're always promoting it. Mm -hmm. Why not promote it uh, even further and actually make it easier for people to access? So the pandemic has opened that up for us. Because, you know, I think of it, part of what I found challenging when I have sought the support and I have at different stages of my life uh, because of different situations that I was going through, the support, and I'll use the term, the support of, of a mental health professional to, to talk things out. And I think that part of the piece that I, maybe it was just my own impression, that I thought it was, it was perhaps challenging or important for someone to understand a, a therapist is that although I may live in a big city, it might from the outside look like I have a, a big cosmopolitan life in Los Angeles, there's still very much a part of me that is a, a Hispanic woman from a very small town. Yeah. And those pieces of me that I happen to like a lot sometimes are challenged living in a big city. And I think someone that I've built a relationship with that understands a, p- a piece of my life, if I choose to move tomorrow to Topeka, Kansas, is, is important. So given that point, um, I wanted to say, too, that, um, you know, the truth is that I think the online experience, the virtual experience, because of the freedom it gives us mm-hmm. to choose who we want to work with and to keep that community. And because it has inspired such a new commitment and a better commitment, a stronger commitment mm-hmm. to, to actually showing up for therapy, I think that the digital experience because of that is not only going to challenge the one-on-one therapy face-to-face, but mm-hmm. I think it's actually going to surpass it. Because really? if you think of the economics and the practicality that I mentioned before where you remove the obstacles, for the psychotherapists themselves, Think about it. There's no rent for us to pay. We don't have offices anymore. Some still do, mm-hmm. but a lot of us don't. We've given that up. You still need your malpractice insurance, but you don't have all these other fees. You don't mm-hmm. have all those other expenses. You don't have property insurance and all that stuff. So um, people that um, maybe are more traditional in their thinking might still want to keep their offices. Mm-hmm. I personally do not have an office anymore. And until I get a handful of clients that say to me, okay, so we're done with this online stuff, mm-hmm. we want to come to the office, I'm really not going to look for one and open one up. So we may be seeing the shift more permanent as well because I think it's going to exceed it in the long run. Why, why go to an office and put yourself in that position, uh, get on the freeway and drive two hours, um, especially in Los Angeles, if you can do it from home? That's great. I That is made me think of something else that I also definitely, we wanted to to get your insights on. Uh, so if I think about what you just said, that there is going to be an expansion of accessibility of to mental health mm-hmm. treatment mm-hmm. online, then as we are talking about um, police reform and how we change as a society and what new policies, what new opportunities, what new services we provide. And I know that for all of us here, mental health support is a big one. Perhaps how we can extend that more to to people in crisis because the gun violence, John, the to me, I see it first and foremost as a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. People unable to come out of this or people who have been living under this divisive belief system that it's us against them, that you and I can't talk to each other because we might have different political ideology. Uh, I, I, I 
printed this out from, uh, I was watching CNN, and this was as of yesterday. There was 243 mass shootings this year since January 1, and we're at June, yesterday was June Second. Second. That is the third, yeah. And mass shootings are defined by, what was that, the number? Four or more people injured, yeah. Mm -hmm. 275 people killed, 1,001 people injured. There was a 12 and a 14-year-old who opened up massive firepower and police. And to me, although I I can, I, I think about gun reform, which is a whole different topic, which I support, but then I think about, what I think about is, this is mental crisis. This is, this is, people walking around like the walking dead with plagues on them that we can see this we can't see but we're all living it so yes god please and federal government yes make it more accessible yes insurance companies pay for it yes have a a, a fair reciprocity of Mm -hmm. ability to help yes allow people to access but what is this all about john what how how do how do i cope with this how do i help how do i think about this it's a sixty-four thousand dollar question because John. it's mm-hmm. it's i mean babies a 12 year old is a child is a baby to do that i just i know it's a lot to unpack but it is since since i'm so fortunate enough to have the 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 this the shaman of of tranquility and <laughs> and, and and uh serenity how do how do we think? How do we help ourselves, and how do we help our community through this? What can we do? Since the numbers don't change, um, I help people by remembering that it's probably not going to stop immediately, and I have to do what I need to do to take care of myself mm-hmm. and to take care of my family. And with this potential expansion um, uh, of mental health services to people, maybe we can help people who are victims of uh, family victims of these people that lose mm-hmm. their lives. And so maybe that will help us in the long run because there's more accessibility. It's easier to get to talk mm-hmm. to a clinician. But again, the gun violence issue, you're right, that's a big conversation, mm-hmm. um, one that um, I don't think is gonna go away. You know, what's interesting about the gun violence thing is you know, whenever there's a big catastrophe in the United States, mm-hmm. let's say with a, um, a plane crashing, mm-hmm. what happens immediately? The NTSB immediately sends out a team of people and they investigate this thing to make sure this thing doesn't happen, whether five people die or 500 people die. And they do thorough um, you know, research on it. Mm-hmm. How can we prevent this from happening again? Whenever this happens and we have a gun violence incident, nobody does anything about it. It's not time to talk about those things now. It's time for thoughts and prayers. No, we talk about it. In our family, yeah. what do we do with kids? You did what? We're gonna talk about what you just did. Right, right now. Right now. Right. And we're going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers have not helped us. If no. We have 243 mass shootings just in 20, 2021. We don't see an end to that. Well, I say, okay, great. Thoughts and prayers. Check that box. What's next? Let's talk about it. Let's let's figure this out. Um, I... I I agree with you. I think that it's it's a it's a much bigger problem that has hopefully other other conversations that we can get to. But but I asked it because I, I sometimes I feel overwhelmed by it, and I and I fear mm-hmm. because in many states they're Texas removing any kind of checks or processes before you can get a gun. Believe it or not, that's another thing that I think about as I think about going back into into the world as it opens up. You know, what do I say? What do I not say? Do I go into a big crowd? 
That's right. And so I always tell people you have to, you know, keep your side of the street clean as well as mm. take care of your own. You know, in the world, we don't have a lot of control over things. We have control over ourselves and you have control over your environment inside. But mm -hmm. you're right. Once you leave your door, you go out in the street, you send your kids to school, you're giving up control. Mm -hmm. And can one live with that? That's sort of the balance you have to uh, create in your head. Mm -hmm. And yeah, are kids safe in school? I'm not a father, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. if I was, I would be worried. There's no easy answer, really, no. when it comes to this. No, but it's. Uh, you also said something earlier that I, I wanted to, to bring back, and I think it's part of this piece of the conversation is that as human beings, we're interdependent to each other, mm -hmm. and that's it. That's what we have to remember. As we said, we were in it together when we went into the pandemic, although we may not have felt it before it because we all were living our hashtag best lives. But then we really quickly found out that we're all in this together. Um, and we have to remember that as we emerge from this is is if, if I'm in a crisis, if, I, if I'm not feeling okay, how to be kind and gentle with myself and with others to give them the space and to, and to check in with people. Um, yeah, and I also tell people, you know, be careful with who you want to scold and put down. If somebody doesn't wear a mask or someone's not mm -hmm. being careful, or you think they're standing too close to you, you have to take care of yourself and you don't want to, you know, get sort of um, hostile with somebody else about it. So in the same way, you have to take care of yourself in terms of, you know, stressors that are beyond our control. It's the same thing with wearing masks and being out there with the threat of COVID-19 is you have to create your own rules and do what you need to do and do that for your kids, too. So maybe just step away from a possible step away explosive walk situation. Away. Yeah, walk yeah. away. If you see coming somebody walking down the street and they're not wearing a mask, walk around them, cross the street, yeah. or go along the street and walk. I, I go along the street and I go on the other side of the car for them, mm. and then I get back on the side. Yeah, we, we did that recently with just walking around for exercise. Um, this is pre um, being told that you don't have to wear a mask. We'd see somebody coming in our direction, and mm -hmm. we would just you know, merge onto the other side of the street, wait for them to pass, and then, you know, we just kind of nodded at each other, and that was enough. But like you said, you safe. took care of you. Uh, took or, care of, yeah. Or, exactly. or John, as you said, you, you keep your side of the street clean, and, and you let others do the, do the same. Um, I recently found out that um, someone in my dance community um, who survived COVID and was just having so many challenges with her life, ended her life last week. I, I just found this out last night. And it was a blowback for, to me for a lot of reasons, including losing a friend. But I got to tell you, part of it was crap, but we're supposed to be on the other side of this. Mm. How could that have happened? But look, we're opening up. Look, we're here. We're dancing. Uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is, is yeah she, we we, we the, see it. yeah the light is here and it's not an oncoming train, and 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 then it made me think about well how I, how am I handling things am I as am I as okay as I think I am because I considered her a really strong human being, I considered her a very vivacious, extrovert. Life is for the taking. Right. The and glass is half full. Nobody noticed symptoms before the pandemic of depression and or this type of I, I think fatalistic I think people notice challenges from what I understand but 
all of us notice. I notice challenges in me, mm-hmm. right? And and that's the I guess that's the scary part. It is. Yeah, you don't know how you're going to react to it. And sometimes, you know, being depressed is like being in denial. You don't know you're in denial because you're in denial. And you don't mm. know you're that depressed because you're so depressed, meaning your thoughts are so skewed that you're believing all of your negative thoughts. And it's hard to categorize them as, oh, this is my depression that's making me think like life is hopeless. And that's where mental health treatment comes in. That's where support comes in. That's where medication comes in. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Some people cannot separate and tell the difference. And if you are feeling depressed for a long period of time, hence the complicated grief, after a while, you start believing your thoughts. It's hard for you yeah. to step back and say, ah, oh, there goes John again. I'm feeling depressed again today. It's hard to separate that and look from the outside in. I stay a victim of my thoughts instead of being an observer of my thoughts. So how do you not minimize those feelings or go overboard? If you do see somebody that I'm concerned about, you know, I don't want to minimize the way they're feeling, but I don't want to go so overboard that they think that I think they're not steady. Exactly. And so uh, that comes into, am I being intrusive? Uh, Am I pathologizing somebody by saying I'm worried about you? Um, I always speak up. Uh, I try to say it in the most gentlest way. But I think that generally, if people have much more of an awareness about, okay, so anybody can get depressed, even me, and also having the awareness that um, I need to monitor my thoughts and I need to see that I've had a lot of changes in my life. I stopped doing this. I stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. I haven't worked in a while. To be able to recognize that um, you know, I may have something that hopefully is not still stigmatized and I have the ego strength to be able to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I have a problem. I need to step back and look at this. And maybe she was unable to do that. Perhaps. I, I, I'm sorry to say that I didn't have the opportunity to, to interact with her because, again, we're just slowly, mm-hmm. uh, all of us coming back to, to the studio. And not to put pressure on you, but because you have always been so helpful, what, um, what tips, what advice can you give us as we maneuver going back into the big open world that mm. we're still scared to do yeah. and we're trying to figure out how to do it how do how do we do it for ourselves how do we do it compassionately for each other and equally as important how do we not lose sight of the things that we can change because we've learned mm-hmm. uh, while we're trying to reemerge in society like making sure that this proposed change right. of allowing people to have access to teletherapy across state lines happens so again, if, if I am looking at mental health conditions, let's say depression and anxiety, and I'm taking away the shame and um, not pathologizing myself because maybe I could get it too, how do we get back into it? It's being aware that maybe there are changes in my life that um, are happening that I've been in denial about. Um, it's hard for me to get out of bed. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm lazy. It doesn't mean that I that something's wrong with me, it's not a moral failing, but maybe I have a condition the way I might have diabetes or asthma or a rash or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's you know taking stock in yourself and doing a personal inventory every now and then and asking yourself, what's different? What am I not doing anymore? What do I still need to do? Am I doing a little bit of exercise each day? Am I taking care of myself? Um, am I doing too much for others to the mm. detriment of me? You know, it's all of that. Oh, Naomi Osaka, um, in the news, great example. She recently pulled out of the French Open because she said she needed to take care of herself. She's a, a champ. She she's the second best women's tennis player in the world, and she put her hand up and she tapped out and she said, "I need to take care of myself." And at first, 
John, I'm sure you saw it on the news too. A lot of people came after her. Like, yes. well, what did she expect? You know, uh, you put yourself in the uh, in, in the spotlight. This is what's gonna come with it. And then recently, I've been reading a lot of articles. A lot of um, sports players have come up um, supporting her. Um, different um, teletherapy groups have stepped up to support her because she said she needed a moment. Um, recently, we heard from his his. his uh, prior name was Ron Artest. He became Meta World Peace with the Lakers. He also dealt with a lot of mental problems, and he said that he didn't get help, and he was always angry and explosive. And, you know... And that's someone with massive right. resources to do it. know that's about right. it. And, you know, and, and the fans would just be like, oh, what's up with that guy, you know? Right. And, and he's now very vocal about it. Once he stopped playing and he retired, he's out there. He's supporting Naomi Osaka, too. Yeah, and, and, and if you remember, after they won, he won the, one of the championships with the Lakers. Mm -hmm. When they asked him to comment on the victory, he said, "I wanted to thank my psychiatrist." That's right, he did. <laughs> I did That's not. Right. I did not he know. Did. That. I'm not being. He uh, said that on TV. Uh, not, but but I wanted to say about Naomi. Mm -hmm. um, it just goes to show that you could have it all. You could mm -hmm. have fame, fortune. You could be considered the second best the tennis best, player in yeah. the world. Um, but you're also under the same types of pressures that other people are. It's just mm -hmm. all relative. Um, and forget the fact that she's 21. A lot of them were saying, well, she's only 21. She Please. doesn't have the experience. Whether you're 21 or 41. Or 91. Or 91. If you're a sports figure or not, if you're just a, a housewife or you're, you're a, a, a manny at home, whatever that is, <laughs> anybody. Yeah. Um, it, uh, mental health, uh, mental illness does not discriminate. So she's a great example of that. And she's she, creating she awareness it to light. for a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. imagine... Imagine the discipline this woman must have, has to have, to achieve mm -hmm. at 21 mm -hmm. what she has achieved. Imagine the drive. Imagine the, the confidence. All the things, all the qualities that we reward as a society, that we admire as a society. Mm -hmm. that they are our gladiators. They are the Olympians, which, of course, I, is coming up, and I can only imagine what they're thinking. So I think that, that that is a brilliant example, Juan, for mm -hmm. us to stop and say, we're all in this together. Yeah. We're all human. This pandemic, what we have lived through, the massive changes to our life, has, has damaged, broken, hurt million pieces inside all of us. And we have to really find the support that we need the, the, the love and self-care that we must give each other mm -hmm. and the patience and the kindness and the compassion to people. So to piggyback on what you just said, um, remember, psychotherapy to me is sort of just the term we give to the practice of helping others. The truth is therapy, counseling, goes back to what I said originally, which is we are interdependent mm -hmm. with each other. We didn't evolve in a vacuum. And to me, uh, giving somebody unconditional positive regard that way and helping them talk things through is kind of like giving them oxygen. Mm. You know, people need food and water and people also need oxygen. And sometimes the connection with somebody else, but mainly being understood by somebody mm -hmm. else is huge. And because we had social distancing uh, mandates for so long, before we sorted out all of the online therapy stuff, people were deprived of that. Mm -hmm. You know, it challenged that innate need for humans to seek support in groups. And for a couple months there, and then remember we had the beaches closed and mm -hmm. we had the mountains closed here in Los Angeles. The hiking trails were closed too. Yeah, that remember? was a little dark mm -hmm. for me. That was the only time I felt it a little bit dark for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. 
It was Me like, too. wow, yeah. I'm really stuck here because I go to the beach and I hike all the time. So mm -hmm. I can't even do that. No restaurants were open, nothing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, getting back to that, um, that's how I see human connection. And if we can expand this uh, even further, it says a lot for um, the mental health of people in the future mm -hmm. in this country. Um, and also the way that we deal with catastrophes and you know difficult times in the future. So you know, we I always look at the glass half full, and mm -hmm. what we were talking about in the prior podcast is my approach to this is not to think about what I want to. We're going back to what I'm going to go back to. I don't. I don't. I, that's not the 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 title that I'm giving this stage of my life. I'm thinking about what changes am I going to make? What lessons did I learn? What painful lessons and, and how am I going to adapt them here? So if I take that, what you just shared, which is just so so beautifully articulated, starting with, don't call it psychoanalysis or psychotherapy, call it helping people mm -hmm. because that's what it is. So as we all rush back to the beaches and, and the hiking trails and the concerts and the restaurants to breathe air because other people say, oh, I feel like I can breathe, I'm out. Then let us not forget that like we felt we couldn't breathe other oxygen while we were in, in locked up and sheltered at home and social distant to think about the conversations we weren't having because we were not engaging with each other and extend those conversations to people that can provide a support that we can't provide for ourselves and we can't provide for each other. And since it is so accessible now, whether it's um, a, a licensed psychotherapist like you or whether it's friends that, that you count on, mm -hmm. as we are breathing new air, give ourselves the permission to talk about things that before we didn't talk about and how can that change our lives so that we can make our lives better from what we learned. All of this pain and all of this grief has to mean something. So we make it mean something by changing who we were before and how we are going to be in the future and the love and compassion mm -hmm. that we're going to give each other. Yeah, I think there's, there's a difference between, let's say, a tragedy and let's say an atrocity. An atrocity is when something happens and there's no redemption to balance mm -hmm. it out, nothing to learn from. Mm -hmm. Um, a tragedy, though, is something you can learn from. And I see the pandemic a lot as a tragedy. It's something that happened. It was terrible for so many people. But we've learned a lot of things from it. We've gotten a little bit better about it. We've evolved. Um, many of us wish it didn't happen. But um, there can be you know, growth from it. And we have, to, we have to look for it. We can't stop. We can't let um, you know, all of these restrictions and all these new ways of dealing with the world stop us. It has to go on. We just have to readjust. And again, survival of the fittest. Um, it's not the strongest or the smartest that survive. It's the ones that adapt to change best. And I love comparing therapy to oxygen, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of us have been waiting to exhale and it's and it's coming soon and, and know that there is help out there. So from tragedy to triumph, if a woman who is one of the best in the world at her craft mm -hmm. can say, you know what, my triumph today is not going to be on the clay court, is going to be taking care of me. John, thank you so much for sharing your brilliance and sharing it from your heart and helping us all go back to not what we had, but to crafting a better life for ourselves and for each other. Thank you, John. Thank you. Until next time. And that'll bring us to the end of yet another podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Ends With Z. Don't forget, we'd love to hear from you over at endswithz.com. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends. For Cecile Munoz and executive producer Sean Moe, I'm Juan Fernandez. Have a great one, because above all else, you matter. Thank you.